We are in our series, New Doors. If you would go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. I gave uh, the media team a scripture, and I'm going to change it all up on them. So that's okay. You can pay attention to that one too, but I'm going to read from Psalm 103. Amanda's going to kill me later, but that's all right. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I'll get back up. Uh, <laughs> Psalm 103. In verse 8, I'm going to start in verse 8. We're just going to read a couple of verses here. i got a ton of scripture today for you. But Psalm 103, we're going to start in verse 8. And we are in our series, New Doors, amen. And uh, we'll be closing this probably this week. I think this week will be the last week that, uh, that I preach on this topic. Been talking about doors from the year 5784 from our visitors. That's the year on the Hebraic calendar. We go by Galgorian, a Galgoric calendar, but the, God's calendar is different. Amen. And so we've been talking. This is the year of the door in the Hebrew. And so we've been talking about this for about eight weeks now. And I talked to you about several different doors, several different things. We've talked about how some doors come with enemies. Some doors are presence doors. They open up when you get there because God had predetermined, predestined plans for you to accomplish he had works for you to accomplish. We've talked about all kinds of stuff, but the, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about keys that have doors. And we've been talking about how some things in the physical are a reflection of some things in the spiritual. So a door in the physical, a lot of doors, almost every door in this room has a lock on it. If it has a lock on it, that means that it's going to take a key to get you on the other side of the door. Amen. So we've been talking about these keys over the last couple of weeks and Last week, we talked about favor and righteousness, sowing and reaping faith, the blood. We talked about thanksgiving and praise. All of these are kingdom keys that unlock kingdom doors. Amen. And so this week, I want to give you the, the last five. I'm going to talk about grace. Come on, somebody. Slap your neighbor and tell them grace. Then I'm going to talk about the fear of the Lord prayer and fasting, honor and forgiveness. I'm going to really, really stay with grace and forgiveness for the most amount of time today. And I believe the Lord's going to do something incredible as we close out today's service. I believe some of you are going to get some healing today. Amen. I believe some of you are going to get some breakthrough when we give this altar call here shortly, but we're going to handle some business with the Lord. So Psalm 103, the first key I want to give you is grace. Now I want you to pay attention to this. Listen to this Psalm 103 and verse eight. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always contend with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. How many of you know you can do things that make God angry? Amen. No, nobody talk about that no more. But remember, we're a full gospel church. We preach the whole Bible. I'm going to preach about the scandalous grace of God, and I'm going to give you some hard truth here in a minute. But. He does not keep his anger with us forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. How many of you know if, we, if he did, we'd be in trouble? He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our guilty deeds. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Oh, there's a key right there to those who what? Fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our wrongdoings or our transgressions or our sin from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. There it is again. For he himself knows our form. He is mindful that we are nothing but dust. Now watch this one. Can I get my mom? Can you help me with a, um, a towel, please? I'm sorry. Oh, she got it? I'm sorry. Thank you. Isaiah 30 and 18. Therefore, the Lord, watch this, longs to be gracious to you. God is longing for an opportunity to be gracious to, for you and to you. He you want to know what that means? He is looking for an opportunity to show you grace. <laughs> oh, man, y'all ain't getting it. I said he longs for an opportunity. He's looking for an opportunity to show you his grace. Because if he ever gets to show you his grace, he gets to show you who he is. Ah, I'm trying not to preach before I preach. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious for you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. And how blessed are those who long for him. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord. 
Help us today. Help me today as I preach and teach your word today, God. Bless us with your presence. Bless us, Lord, with this word. Help me to articulate it to the people today that they would receive a blessing from you, O oh God. We give you praise, glory, and honor. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray in the church. Said, amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So the first point I'm giving you today, the first kingdom key I want to talk to you about today is grace. Come on, touch your neighbor and tell them grace. Come on, say God's given it to me and I'm going to give it to you. Amen. Amen. Let me say this. A true revelation of grace is a key that unlocks you knowing who God really is. A true revelation of God's grace is a kingdom key that unlocks you understanding who he really is. Come on. It shows you who his nature, what his nature is, because he is a God who is grace. Can I just help us in the church this morning that God is not mad at you? One person got it. I said, God is not mad at you. Amen. Now y'all are starting to get it. Let me say it again. God is not mad at you. Did you hear what the Bible said? The Lord is compassionate and gracious, meaning that he's full of grace. This means that this is who he is. This is a part of his nature. This is a part of his character. Part of his character and nature is that he is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Come on, somebody. He is slow to anger and he is abounding in mercy. I am so tired of people turning God into a fire, dragon-breathing God that wants to smite you and take you out every time that you make a mistake. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of Psalm 103. The Bible just told us that he is slow to anger, that he is gracious, that he longs for an opportunity to be gracious. uh, He looks for an opportunity to show you his grace because if he ever gets to show you his grace, he gets to show you who he is. He gets to show you a piece of his nature. Come on. I'm so tired of people preaching a God who's unapproachable. Come on. I'm getting ahead of myself. But Hebrews 4.15 says that you do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with your weakness. Yet he was tempted and tried in every way, yet did not sin. And he did that so that you could come to the throne of grace and approach it boldly. But we want to preach a fire dragon breathing God. That's ready to take you out as a Christian and as a believer every time that you make a mistake. Now, don't get me wrong or twist up my words. We're going to talk about judgment. We're going to talk about the fear of the Lord here in just a second. But he is grace and he is truth. Can I just give you a great encouragement this morning that 100% of the time when you go to God and you ask for forgiveness and you repent and you actually mean it, that 100% of the time he actually forgives you. Oh, that's some good shouting materials. Come on, he's not a fire dragon breathing God who wants to wipe out his kids every time that they make a mistake. His vengeance and justice and judgment will be poured out on the world, but it's different for his kids. I told y'all last week with favor and righteousness, I talked about favor a little bit and that how my kids get favor from me. They get preferential treatment from me. Come on, somebody, and that you as a child of God, that you get preferential treatment according to him because you're his kid. The world ain't the kids. I know people like to say this, but it's not true. We all children of God. Uh, No, we are not. According to the scriptures, the Bible says that you get born into this kingdom and you get born into this family. And when you do, you gain an inheritance from the Lord. Not everybody's God's kids. The only ones who are God's kids is those who said yes to him. Yes, they're created in the Yamago day. They're created in the image of God, but they don't belong to God until they say yes to Jesus Christ and get born again. I know that's tough preaching. But it's the truth. Come on. The Lord is compassionate. The Lord is gracious. God is compassionate. You don't know the definition of compassion is feeling or showing sympathy for the concerns of another. God feels sympathy and concern for you. He feels sympathy and concern for your issues and your problems. He sympathizes with you. Grace throws your sin as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah says he longs to be gracious for you, aka he's looking for an opportunity to show you grace. And why does he do that? The end of the text tells you why he does that. Because he remembers your form. 
He remembers what you're made out of. He remembers you a dirt bag. Come on, somebody. From the dust you came into the dust you shall return. He remembers what he formed Adam from, which was dirt. So he knows that, that you're, you're simply a being who is made out of dirt. And because of what Adam did until Jesus returns, you're going to make mistakes. But he's gracious and he's kind to you. You know that the Bible says it is his kindness and his goodness that lead unto repentance. Oh, come on, somebody. It's his kindness and his goodness that lead unto repentance. I'm going to say it till you get it. It's his kindness and his goodness that lead unto repentance. When you realize how jacked up and messed up you are, when you look back on your life and you realize the mistakes you made 10 years ago, five years ago, one year ago, last week, uh, last 24 hours, God gets to showing grace on you, and it makes you want to love him. Come on. It makes you want to dance. It'll make you want to sing. It'll make you want to repent when you realize how kind and how gracious he has been unto you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Grace makes you realize, oh, he's good. Grace makes you realize that, oh, he is kind. I don't know about you, but I remember where I come from. Can I tell you, the worst people to be around are people who forget where they came from. Forget what God did for them. Forget where they was at. Come on, forget that God took them out of the crack house, the smack house, and all of them houses. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you that God's kindness and his goodness and you remembering where he brought you from will keep you in right perspective with a gracious and a good and a kind, loving God. Ah, Jesus. Ah, I said he's kind. Come on, I said he's good. I said he's kind. Come on, I said he's good. Come on, slap your neighbor and tell him he is so kind. Come on. He's been kind to me. He's been good to me. Hallelujah. Come on, he knows you've got some weaknesses. Oh, we ain't never getting out of here today. Help us, Holy Ghost. Oh, I'm just getting started. Grace and mercy are two different things, my friend. Mercy is you simply not getting what you deserve. But the grace of God is a whole other thing. For high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy towards us. But grace and mercy are two different things. Mercy means that you just didn't get what you deserve. Come on, if we all got what we deserved, we'd be lost, dying, and going to hell and be separated from God for eternity. But God didn't just show you mercy. Come on, somebody. He showed you some grace. The difference between grace and mercy is that when you get grace, you get something in exchange for your junk. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So do you want to know what that means? Everything that was in his bank account got transferred into your bank account. So all of your sin got transferred on him at the cross, and all of his righteousness got transferred onto you at the born-again experience. Come on, somebody. Who am I preaching to? Y'all ought to be a lot more excited about the fact that God, a good God, a gracious God, has saved you from all of your junk and all of your mess. And that he not only saved you, he didn't only just show you mercy, he gave you some grace. He imparted and imputed righteousness unto you. Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1 say, Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1 say that you're holy, blameless, and righteous in God's sight when you're in Christ. Oh, that's some grace right there, my friends. That's some grace right there because all of the stuff that you was, oh, watch this, and all of the stuff that you is, <laughs> God's still working on us, y'all. But the Father sees you as holy, blameless, and righteous in his sight when you're in Christ. Oh. That's how he sees you, even though your life might even still right now be jacked up. Watch this now. If you're in Christ, if you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and you've given him your life, and you've gotten born again, that's how he sees you, even though you made the mistake last night. Mm. I'm telling you, he's gracious. I'm telling you, he's kind. 
And I'm telling you, watch this. I got to hurry. But his grace unlocks salvation. We all understand that by grace, you have been saved through faith. I talked about this a little bit last week. Through faith, no faith, no faith, no grace. No faith, no grace. But if you have faith, you can get to grace. And grace does everything that I just talked about. Doesn't that just take all the pressure off? That you've been saved by grace through faith and you don't even have to, that it was him that he did it. That he did it. Come on, somebody. Now, I want to show you something else that grace would do. I told you I wanted to spend a little bit more time on grace and then the grace and forgiveness at the end with these other keys. But I want to show you that grace unlocks righteousness. Not just the righteousness that's been imparted to you because of what God did, because of what Jesus did on the cross, but that it actually produces righteousness, a.k.a. right living in your life. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Righteousness is right standing with God, but it's also right living. First John and three, dear children, don't let anybody deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. So you want to know what this translates to is that if you've had a real encounter with that grace that we all just got really excited about and that we jumped up, shouted, did a twirl and danced about that if you had a real encounter with that type of grace that you will actually live right. And then what God says about you will match up with the way that you live. Oh, you want another scripture? Hold on. Don't worry. I got you. Titus 2, 11 and 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly. Oh, come on, somebody. America needs a revival of sanity. Come on. And to live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope of the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from lawless deeds and to purify himself, a people for his own possession. The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation unto men, and it instructs us to deny ungodly living. The the grace of God instructs us to deny ungodly living, worldly desires, to live sensibly. Do you understand that the grace of God, it teaches you to live like you got some sense? Come on. Righteously, there's that word again. And in a godly manner, God-like manner, godliness, that's what that means. God-likeness. And a grace to redeem us from our lawless deeds and to purify us for his own possession. Grace purifies you. Grace purifies you. Like I said a second ago, when you get to thinking about all of the junk and all of the mess and all of the stuff that God has delivered you from and is delivering you from, and you have this encounter and this revelation of grace that you're still in right standing with God, although you made a mistake, it'll purify you and it actually makes you want to stay away from the mistake that you just made a minute ago. The grace of God empowers you to live right. Grace is not a license to sin and get away with it. It's a revelation of, oh man, I did that 10 years ago, but it's under the blood. Oh man, I did that a month ago, but it's under the blood. Oh man, I did that last week, but it's under the blood. Grace, the grace of God should bring about a revelation of man. He has forgiven me and I cannot go back there. I cannot go back there. Come on. I want to do what's right. I can't keep doing this. Come on, I can't keep talking like this. Come on, I can't keep smoking this. Come on, I I can't keep drinking this. Come on, I need to get myself out of this relationship that isn't ordained by God. Come on, God has been gracious to me. He's done too much for me. Come on, I want to live right. I want to talk right. I want to do right. I've got to remove myself from doing the things that I was doing and let the grace of God wash my mind and wash my heart and wash my spirit in the blood. Come on, if anybody's thankful for the grace of a good God, is there anybody thankful for the blood of a good God that says his grace that has showered me makes me want to live right? It makes me want to live different. I'm not going to look like the world. I want to look like God. Mm. Ah, 
Oh, you want some more scripture? Romans 6 and 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Far be it from us. Romans 6 and 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace removes you from being a slave to sin. Ah. The grace of God unlocks you understanding a revelation of the character of God. Grace coupled with faith unlocks salvation. Grace unlocks righteousness. And here it is where I'm bringing this plane for a landing on grace. Grace unlocks forgiveness that you and I both desperately need. First John says, if you say that you have never sinned, you make God out to be a liar and the truth is not in you. Hebrews 4.15, I quoted that earlier. The Bible just told you that you can come to the throne of grace in your time of need. Not just in, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Because we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. Meaning Jesus spent 33 years on the earth and he went through everything. Can I just tell you that Jesus knows what it feels like to be abandoned? Come on, can I tell you that Jesus just knows what it feels like to have a knife in your back? Come on, Jesus knows what it feels like to have everybody leave you when it going gets tough. Come on, Jesus knows what it's like to be in ministry and get to preaching the word of God and tell folks to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And then more than half of his congregation who followed him from day one leaves him. Jesus knows what it's like to have the pressures of ministry. Jesus knows what it's like to have family members come against him because his own Brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah and the Christ, and they were making fun of him and said, Go reveal yourself to the fair, go to the feast, go reveal yourself to them. He knows what it's like to have abandonment from your own families and friction and chaos. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like not to have a place to lay his head and rest. He said, for everybody else has a place to rest their head, but, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. He knows what it's like to be wrapped in flesh. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He spent 40 days in the wilderness, not being tempted by some spirit or some devil, but the devil himself, and he overcame him for you and I. Come on, we don't serve a sideline God who sits back and making demands of us. He didn't just sit back and want us and bark some orders at us. No, the son of God checked himself into the game and said, let me see what's going on down here. And he not only checked himself into the game, come on somebody, he hit the winning shot. He laid the final blow on the enemy. He, the Bible says that he actually made a public spectacle of the enemy by what he did on the cross. He made a way when there seemed to be no way. Come on somebody. It's because because he knows what it feels like to be a human. He knows what it feels like to be beaten. He knows what it feels like to be sitting on death row and be turned over by the same people that were screaming Hosanna seven days earlier. And now they're screaming crucify him. He knows. He knows what it feels like to be murdered. He knows what it feels like to have folks lying on you, making up stuff about you. I'm trying to tell you that you can approach the throne of grace boldly this morning. Amen. He's gracious. He's kind. And his grace is ready and available to you. Amen. Y'all okay? Here we go. Point two, the fear of the Lord. First key was grace. I want to give you the second one. It is the fear of the Lord. For all you note takers, write that down. The fear of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6, he steps into the throne room of heaven and his first response is, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. When you get into the presence of an almighty God, the fear of the Lord is a byproduct of it. Can I just say this? We need a revival of the fear of God in America again. The fear of the Lord is you not being scared or like you can't approach him. We just talked about that with we can approach the throne of grace boldly. We just read that. But the fear of the Lord is a healthy fear and a reverence of a superior being who created you and everything that you see. The reason our country is in the state that it's in is because we lack in the fear of God. 
we lack in the fear of the Lord. There is no honor and reverence for him on our TVs anymore. You could turn on the TV in about five seconds. You're going to hear somebody say, Jesus Christ, and take the Lord's name in vain. Or you can turn on Netflix and they'll have a show about a gay Jesus disrespecting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have a country and a government, governmental standpoint that doesn't honor or fear God anymore. They have declared that the boundary that God has instituted for marriage, which is between a man and a woman, between one man and one woman is irrelevant. They say that men can be together and women can be together. And there is no reverence or respect for the design and the way that God created us to function on the earth. They don't respect the sanctity of life. And we're still arguing over abortion and we're still arguing over Roe v. Wade. Come on, they don't have enough respect to know that the womb is supposed to be the safest place on the face of the earth for a human being. We lack the fear of God in our country. We lack having a healthy fear and a reverence for the God of the universe, for the God who spoke all of this into existence. And can I just say this too? Come on, the church ain't getting away scot-free today. Y'all know me. Come on, unfortunately, this has crept into the house of God as well. Come on, don't worry, we ain't getting off the hook today either. I, I watched two mega church pastors this year affirm homosexuality and endorse them being in the pulpit. Come on, I'll even say it. Jamal Bryant was one of them. Jamal Bryant, and then he went to the church in Atlanta with two gay pastors. By the way, there's no such thing that doesn't exist. There's no such, that doesn't exist. And then he attempts to apologize on behalf of the Capital C Church. I, Jamal Bryant, brother, I don't need you to apologize for me. The word of God is still the word of God. The truth is still the truth. Andy Stanley, another one. And then you want to know what else Jamal Bryant said? He said, I want to know why we ain't growing weed at the church house. He said, he said that we are the biggest landowning church in America and I want to know why we ain't growing weed at the church house. And he, what, he said this. This is not him saying that. He said, why? So that we can draw in young black men. All my brothers in the room? Come on. This is what this man said. But I know a bunch of young on fire for God black men that will say I will not stand for this junk. I will not be lumped into a category. I will not be lumped into compromise. But I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm going to love people. I'm going to love God's word. I'm going to stand up for holiness. I stand up for righteousness. And I will not be lumped into a bunch of junk. Watch one of my good friends down in Marietta, Georgia, who lived down the road, talk about this. This is crazy. The Bible is the truth and it's the word of God. You don't have to deviate or compromise to it to draw people in. The greatest church growth plan, by the way, is the Holy Ghost, Acts chapter 2. Peter got under the, under the unction of the Holy Ghost and he stepped up and he said, you need to repent. Y'all are the ones that killed him. He preached the death, burial, and resurrection. They were speaking in tongues. Things got wild and things got crazy. And 3,000 souls were added to the church in one moment in about a 10-minute sermon. Come on. It still is the Holy Ghost that will grow your church. It's still the Holy Ghost that changes people. It's still the Holy Ghost that redeems us and makes us new. Now, let me say this about these two issues. We stand upon the word of God. I'm always going to preach the word of God. But let me tell you something right now. A homosexual is welcome in this church. You want to know why? Because this is the only place that they can get set free. We're the, we're the ones with the answer. It takes Jesus Christ to set you free from that, to get born again. The, the, oh, Lord, help me, Holy Ghost. There is an attack on the identity of sons and daughters of God. That's why all this stuff is going on in our country. Got family members caught up in it. And I love them and I will continue to pray for them and I will continue to be there for them. I'll always be there for them. I'll always love them. But I love them enough to tell them if you don't stop doing what you're doing. You're going to end up in hell and separated from God that he never created for you. He made a way for you to get out of it. Right? 
Come on. I, Stephen Hawking said this, and people don't even believe me when I say this. I've tried to find the quote on the internet, but I can't find it anymore. He said, how much would you have to hate him? If you're a Christian, he said, how much would you have? He's an atheist, didn't believe in God, didn't believe in any. How much would you have to hate somebody if you really believed them that, Je- believed that Jesus was the son of God, that there is a God, that Jesus was the son of God, and that his death, burial, and resurrection could change their life, and not only their life, but their eternal destination. How much would you have to hate somebody to not tell them that truth? It's coming from an atheist. (laughs) We love people who are caught up in sin. I want the drug addict in here. I want if our if our sanctuary don't smell like weed and cigarettes, we doing something wrong. This is where they go get set free. Come on, you can't tell me that you don't feel the power in the presence of an almighty God. This is why people are running up to this altar, and this is why people are changing, and this is why we got drug addicts coming in here, and this is why homosexuals are being set free, and this is why womanizers are being set free, and this is, and this is why uh, whoremongers are being set free. Yeah, I said it. The sinner can get changed in the presence of God. I, 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 man, I'm, I'm all off the notes. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. Come on. It is the present. Let me help us as a church. We go talk about these things. We talk about them. I preach, I preach the word of God. But can I just say this? You ain't going to convict and change anybody. There ain't nothing that you can say or do to convict and make somebody change. This is why. We're a glory church. This is why we're a presence as priority church. Because if the Holy Ghost is present in this place, come on somebody. I said if the Holy Ghost is present in this place, the person that's dealing with sin, the person that's dealing with debauchery, the person that's dealing with all kind of junk in their life, if the Holy Ghost is in this place, there will be conviction in this place. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of the coming judgment. You ain't gonna make nobody feel guilty about their sin. Come on, but if the Holy Ghost begins to whisper in their ear, I'm hearing in this room, and it's time to get right my son came so that you can have everlasting life that person can get set free they can be set free if the presence of God is in the place I'm saying it again sinners are welcome here but sinners won't stay here oh gosh I'm gonna get in trouble today 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. So I talked about, I'm talking about the fear of the Lord. Talking about the fear of the Lord. We need to fear God. We need to have a healthy fear of God. I talked about how it's crept into the church where we don't, we don't fear God anymore. Come on, people lack the fear of God. Jesus says it like this. Why do you fear man? So many people scared about what people would think about them. He said, why do you fear man who can only destroy the body? Why do you not fear God who can destroy both the body and the soul and cast you into outer darkness for forever? Why do you not fear God? Y'all fear, man. You fear about what people would think about you on social media. You fear Facebook. You fear Instagram. You fear Google. You fear all of this stuff, but you don't fear God. He said, why? I'm begging you and imploring you. Fear God. It's crept into the church. Watch this. I know this is hard, but we got to preach the whole word. Come on, the fear of the Lord. I wrote to you, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the sexually immoral people of this world or with the greedy or the swindlers or with adulterers. Don't stop at sexually immoral. (laughs) Don't associate with them, the greedy, swindlers, adulterers. He said, if you did that, you'd have to leave the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who is a so-called brother. If he is a sexually immoral person or a greedy person or an adulterer or verbally abusive or habitually drunk or a swindler, not even to eat with such a person. For what business of mine do I have judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside? God judges. We judge within the church, but God judges outside of the church. And then he says this. Remove the evil person from among you. 
Translation, God is saying people who claim to be Christians but don't fear the Lord and go on continually, habitually living in these type of lifestyles, hear me out. I'm not talking about you making a mistake in one of these things. I'm not talking about you, you know, maybe making several of these mistakes. But there has to come a point in your Christian walk where you draw a line in the sand. And like I said earlier, you can't do it, but God can do it. But if you'll draw the line in the sand, ask God for his power and his grace will flood you. I I know this is a little bit of hard preaching right now, but there's really good news. Do you remember grace that I taught earlier? All it takes is for you to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Change this in me and it's over with and it's done. This is actually good news. We need the instruction of God because if you didn't have the word to tell you that, you'd never know to change it. Come on. Don't judge me. Y'all know who I'm talking about, don't you? You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. That's a scary thought. It's a scary thought to know that we don't walk in the fear of God because we want to do what we want. You want to know? All right, I'm going to move on from that. Y'all okay? But I want to help you with something too. Watch this, what the fear of God can do. The fear of God unlocks you to stop sinning. Exodus 20, watch this. However, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you and in order that you might fear him that the fear of him may remain with you. Watch this. So that you will not sin. Exodus chapter 20 is where God is giving the Ten Commandments. We all know the Ten Commandments. Come on, wave at me if you know the Ten Commandments. Holla at your boy. Come on. But he says, he he begins to speak to Moses on the mountain. And what he is, when he gets to speaking, the mountain is shaking. Thunderings and lightnings are happening A dark cloud is over the mountain and the people are scared to death. And they beg Moses, Moses, you go talk to God. Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want any part of this. Moses, you speak to him for us and we'll listen to you. They were terrified. And Moses said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This is a good thing. God is trying to come speak to you. He wants to show you a revelation of his power, that he's omnipotent, that he is all powerful. And you need to come to the side of this mountain so that you will hear his voice, so that you will fear him, and so that you will stop and stay away from sin. The fear of God keeps you from making those same mistakes over and over again. Let me put it in tangible, simple terms. If you don't have to answer for your life, why not do whatever you want? This is why atheists trip me out because they're like, if there's no God and there's never going to be an answer for your life, why do we live morally? What's the point of morality? I should be able to shoot you, kill you, and take whatever you have so that I'm okay and I can live my life. If there's no, if I'm never going to have to answer for the things that I do in life, it ought to be dog eat dog, right? There there should be, what's the point of morality if you're never going to stand before an all-holy, all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful God? The fear of the Lord, my friends, will keep us from living crazy. When you have a healthy reverence and a fear and an awe for the Lord, it will keep you. Y'all okay? Next key, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Can I just say this, that prayer produces power. Prayer produces power. Prayer produces power. Y'all got seven minutes? Can I get seven minutes? Prayer produces power. I'll say it till you get it. Prayer produces power. When you get into the presence of God, you're hooking up to the power source. Come on, somebody. If we're not plugging into the power source, we don't have no power. Come on. But prayer hooks you up to the power source. Amen. Prayer works. Come on. Prayer produces power. You need to be hooked up to the power source. Prayer produces power corporately and personally. Acts chapter 2, corporate prayer. 
When we get in a room together and we pray, we're opening up the heavens and God can invade a space and his power gets poured out. That's when the spirit of God that was prophesied about in Joel chapter 2 happened whenever the sons and daughters would prophesy. Amen. And the power of God was, was poured out and they began to prophesy and speak in other terms. Amen. Corporate prayer draws power from God. And if there ever was an age that needed the church to be powerful, it is today. Come on, somebody. You call a prayer meeting today, and it is the least, uh, uh, least attended meeting that you will have in a church. Prayer brings personal power. As Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's sweating out. He's sweating drops of blood under the distress and the weight of what he is about to go to. But he begins to pray to his father. And he begins to pray and strength rises up in him and he goes and accomplishes the mission that God has set before him. Prayer produces power. Prayer produces brokenness. Psalm 51, David pens the psalm there in 51. Prayer, God, sacrifice you have not desired, but the sacrifice of God is a broken and contrite heart and spirit. Come on, prayer and getting alone with God is what will break you. Come on, you need to get in a prayer closet at least five days a week. I I am a firm believer in that. Come on, you need a prayer closet Monday through Friday at least. Take your Sabbath on Saturday and then get in here and pray with us. Come on, but we need to be in the presence of an almighty God. Come on. Fasting unlocks instruction from the Lord. Acts chapter 13. Fasting unlocks revelation and understanding and brings humility. It gets your words heard and God sends you answers. Fasting unlocks breakthrough. Just ask Esther. Fasting unlocks revelation. Ask the 84-year-old woman that spent time in the temple praying and fasting every single day. And when Jesus shows up as a little baby, she recognizes that he's the Messiah before anybody else did. Come on. Revelation is where God peels back the curtain and shows you something that's already always been there. Uh, fasting helps you overcome temptation i'm giving you keys this morning fasting so many of us are getting beat up by temptation and you keep falling into the same mistake over and over again i implore you and i encourage you to fast jesus overcomes satan himself by fasting and praying he's in the wilderness on the brink of death by the way your body can go 40 days without food that's a scientific fact and jesus pushed to the brink of death in his fasting and prayer. And that's what helped him overcome temptation. Oh, you want another scripture? No problem. Jesus, he takes the three with him and he says, y'all watch and pray for an hour for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Praying helps you to overcome temptation. You want to overcome temptation? You want to stop falling into the same sins over and over and over again? You need to fast and pray. It develops discipline in your life when you can push the plate away from you and say, God, you are my source. God, you are my source. God, you are the way. You're you're the source for how I can continue to live. Honor. Honor. Honor is a kingdom key that helps you unlock the best out of people. Honor is a kingdom key that helps you unlock the best out of people. Matthew 13, Jesus goes up, the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like. When you talk about honor in the kingdom, you won't won't be able to wrap your head around honor in the kingdom if you don't know kingdom. The kingdom is the culture, the customs, the influence, and the authority of a place. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. Y'all okay? The kingdom of heaven. He talks about when he's talking about the kingdom, he's talking about the culture, the customs. Amen. The culture and the customs and the influence and the authority of a place. When King George was king over England, he never had to leave England. But yet to this day, America looks a lot like England. Are y'all catching what I'm dropping? Jesus says, pray your kingdom be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus does when he's teaching about the kingdom is he is saying, I'm trying to get the culture, the customs, the influence of heaven, and I want to use you to pull it into the earth to make it happen. Oh, that's good teaching. 
God wants to use you for heaven to invade the earth. So Jesus comes preaching this message of the kingdom. What he's trying to teach us is that he wants his customs, culture, and authority and influence to invade the earth. Well, what when you talk about customs, culture, influence, authority, culture is one of those. So what is the culture of the kingdom of God? I'll remind you, it's honor. Honor is the culture of the kingdom of God. Of God. When you talk about the culture of a place, you're talking about its environment. We talk about the winning culture of great sports teams and ball clubs or the culture of a restaurant. Come on, somebody. Chick-fil-A. Touch your neighbor and tell them Chick-fil-A. Revival chicken. Come on, somebody. That's the Lord's chicken. Say something about Chick-fil-A. God will get you. Who said that? Get out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Lord's chicken. They're a Christian-based company who have mastered the culture of honor. They have mastered the culture of honor. That's why they passed up everybody, including McDonald's. Come on, somebody. Why? Because of honor. You can't walk into that place and ask for some Chick-fil-A sauce without them talking about my pleasure. <laughs> Come on. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Me and my wife was in McDonald's yesterday, and the employees were cussing each other out. And she looked, she went to ask them, can I, can I get some barbecue sauce on the way out? And, the, and if looks could kill, we'd be having a funeral in here today. I'm not joking. That happened on the way back from Cleveland, Tennessee. But Chick-fil-A, they have this culture of, they're a Christian-based company, and they pulled out this kingdom key. They understand that if you honor something, you can unlock the treasure that is on the other side of it. Honor is this. Honor is high respect, great esteem, and regard with great respect. The culture of the kingdom of God is honor. The environment where Jesus does his best work is the environment of honor. Did you catch that from our initial text as well? Because they did not honor him. Jesus goes to his hometown, and they do not honor him and it shut off the miracle working power of God. He couldn't do no miracles in his hometown. Why? Because they could not honor him. And let me tell you something about this right now. The, the, the enemy of honor is familiarity. Don't you ever let familiarity keep you from honoring something. I, don't, I want to have and pastor a church where we can look at the flaws of one another and still honor one another. We can look at the mistakes. We can know each other's past. We can know the mistakes and the stuff we're dealing with right now. But we still honor. The enemy of honor is familiarity. Uzzah dies because he reaches out and touches the glory of God. Why? Because he had lost his honor and respect for the presence of God. Don't just come into this church week after week. Oh, we're going through another service. Oh, we're doing a little worship. No, the presence of God is in the room. And if you reach out and touch that ark and you're disrespectful and dishonoring in the presence of God, you might not die physically today. That was Old Testament. But you might die spiritually because God don't cast his pearls to swine. Mm. And I'm going to say this and I've got to move on. We're almost done. Closing number three. Three. Was it three, Ricky? Two minutes. Give me two minutes. <laughs> Honor has a lot to do with perception. The way that you perceive is how you will receive. Prove it, Pastor, with a woman at the well. The woman at the well. She's standing there at the well, and Jesus comes up to her. He says, give me a drink. And then she goes in on Jesus. Come on, somebody. <laughs> What do you mean give you a drink? You ain't even got nothing for me to draw with. And, and what are you doing talking to me anyways? First off, I'm a woman. Second off, I'm a Samaritan. You Jews don't like us Samaritans. She just starts going in on Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus flips the script on her. <laughs> Go get your husband. <laughs> Go get your husband. Well, I have no husband. You're right. You had five of them. And the one you're shacking up with now ain't yours. I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> and, and watch this. Her, per, her perception shifts in an instance. 
And then she gets to listen to him talk about living water. And her lifestyle begins to get convicted by just sitting at the feet of a good God and sitting at the feet of Jesus at the well. And he begins to tell about her about her life and he begins to prophesy to her and it begins to prick her heart. And she says, oh, I've got to tell everybody about this man named Jesus. And she becomes the first woman evangelist as she runs into the city and she goes back into the area where she had a problem. She didn't go back to the women. She went back to the men and said, let me tell you about this man who told me everything about my life. (laughs) One encounter with Jesus can shift everything for you. She goes back into the area of where her problem was. Why? Because she's changed. I can go in any bar in America and preach. I can go on any crack hood alley in America and preach the gospel. Why? Because I don't walk on eggshells. The level of my encounter with Jesus Christ does not have me living my life walking on eggshells. I'm a changed man. And everybody in this room and within the sound of my voice has that same opportunity. I ain't nobody special. The way you perceive is how you can receive. I'm done. Besides this. I was at Judy Jacobs' conference this weekend, y'all, and like they, they have four or five hour services, so y'all can bear with me just one minute. But forgiveness, here's the last key. I got to give you this because this is where we're going we're gonna to spend a second with the Lord because y'all have got to get free. Some people in this room got to get free. Worship team, y'all just go ahead and make your way up. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. 14 says this, for if you forgive other people their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive, this is scary. If you do not forgive other people, your father will not forgive you. There's a door standing in front of you and forgiveness and grace is on the other side of it. And this key of forgiving, this key of forgiving is what unlocks the door. Do you understand that this is one of the scariest scriptures in all of the Bible? This, is, this right here is one of the scariest scriptures in all of the Bible. The Bible just told you, if you do not forgive those who have wronged you, God doesn't forgive you. And there's so many of us that are holding grudges. There's forgiveness between God and man. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. Don't let all the holiness, righteousness, and the fear of the Lord stuff that I've preached today make you miss the fact that I, your pastor, a man of God, am in need of grace and forgiveness daily. And so are you. Good news, though, if we've put our faith and trust in him, he forgives us. Now watch this. In order to forgive get forgiveness from God, you're going to have to do a couple of things. Number one is you're going to have to confess it. First John 1, 9, if we, we deceive, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So number one thing, you've got to confess it. And then the number two thing is when you confess it, he forgives it. You confess it, he forgives it kingdom key of forgiveness. You confess it. He forgives it. And then watch this. This is crazy. When you confess it, he forgets it. (laughs) Y'all missed a real good time to shout. When you confess it, he forgives it. And when he forgives it, he forgets it. Prove it, Pastor. Hebrews 8 and 12. Hebrews 10 and 17. Isaiah 43 and 25. Psalm 103 and 12. Micah 7 and 19. All indicate that God actually forgets what you have received forgiveness for. The Bible says that he throws it into a sea of forgetfulness. He throws it as far as the east is from the west. I don't trust scientists sometimes, but sometimes they're smart. Sometimes they know something. But they say that our universe is expanding from east to west. That's how far your sin is from God. It just keeps going and going and going. 
Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If he forgives it and forgets it, why don't we? If he forgives it and he forgets it, why don't we? I've been guilty of saying this myself, but it's like, oh, I forgive him, but I ain't forgetting it. Let pastor repent in front of the whole church. I forgive him, but I ain't going to forget it. I ain't going to forget what they did to me. I'm not forget. I'm not. No. All the meanwhile, you're talking about forgiveness and you got this thing at the forefront of your mind. And you won't release them. And I'm not saying that when you forget it, you catch a case of amnesia and you never think about it again. But when I'm talking about forgetting, I'm talking about not holding it against them. That's how you can forget it. Come on, that's how you can forget it. If you don't forgive others, God can't forgive you. Can we get those lights turned down? Somebody, please. If you forgive, God forgives you. But if you don't forgive, God doesn't forgive you. God forgets it, forgives it. He forgives it, and then he forgets it. Now, let me tell you, the last point is this. You're going to have to forgive yourself. Jesus, Jesus says that all the law and the prophets hang on this. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. I know ain't nobody preaching this, but it's the word of God. If you can't like and look at the man of the, in the mirror and be happy with who God has created you to be, not that you're happy with all your mistakes or whatever, but you've got to have a true revelation of God's grace and his mercy and that he created you the way he created you and that he loves you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. When you can look the man or the woman in the mirror and be pleased with who God has created you to be and what he has done for you, that can permeate to everybody else. You're going to have to forgive yourself if you're ever going to love people the right way. Can I just say this? I know I was a little bit hard today, but I got to give you the whole truth of the scriptures because if I don't, you can't never change. If nobody ever looks you in the eye and tells you, hey, you got to stop doing what you're doing. That's called true love. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commands. A lot of people think they love God, but they don't obey any of his commands. And when you don't obey any of his commands, he, it is, he is saying that you don't love me. God is not interested with lip service. He's interested with your life. But I know, I know I've said some hard things today, but we got to have the whole Bible. we got to have the whole truth. But I, 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 don't, I don't want you to miss this today. Grace and forgiveness. I said I was going to stay a little bit longer on grace and forgiveness. Grace is available to you this morning. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what background you come from, what side of the tracks you come from. I don't care what it is that you've done. Grace is available to you this morning. Come on, with every head bowed and eye closed in this room, I just want to ask you a question this morning. When it comes to grace and forgiveness, if you just put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he will forgive you of everything that you've ever done. And you can reach that grace that not only is mercy, meaning you get not what you deserve, but you get something in place of that. You get righteousness. And you can receive that grace by putting your faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you today, is there anybody within the sound of my voice that says, man, I want to get right with the Lord today? Maybe you've said a prayer before. Maybe you've grew up in church. Maybe you've never been to church in your life. But you've been hearing me talk about the scriptures today and you say, man, I want a new life. I want to give my life to Christ today. Come on, ain't nobody looking around at you right now. But if that's you, I just want you to shoot up your hand right now. Thank you. One, two, three. Come on, anybody else. Today's your day. You can give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Four. Come on. Grace is in the room. God's mercy and grace is in the room. 
Thank you, Lord. Come on, stand with me on your feet this morning. I want everybody in this room to repeat this after me right now. As the family of God, we're going to say this together. And then we're going to celebrate. Say, Father God, I believe in you. And I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I repent of my sins and I give you my life. Fill me with your spirit and your power to change into the person you've created me to be. I ask these things in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Come on, lose your mind for about 10 seconds. For four souls that gave their life to Jesus Christ today.